This is mission.org. This is Marketing Trends, your number one source for exclusive interviews with chief marketing officers and executive marketing leaders in the Fortune 1000 and beyond. This is Jeremy Bergeron, and I interview, collaborate, and partner with world-class CMOs and marketing leaders across industries. There's always a square opportunities in every direction we look. I always say that's the blessing and the curse of the job because it's great. You'll never be bored. But it also means that we've got to be really principled about the decisions and the priorities that we choose as a team so that we've got our people focused on the right things and not getting burnt out. CMOs and marketing leaders today have to contend with a variety of different conflicting priorities. How can they best guide their teams through these complex situations? In today's episode, I spoke with Lauren Weinberg, the Global Head of Marketing and Communications at Square. She shared her thoughts on many of these dichotomies, including the balance between pursuing opportunity and preventing burnout, the emotionality and functionality of campaigns, personal boundaries and collaboration, and more. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others, teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot Content Management System, made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready-to-use tools and functionality. Bring a bright spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team, with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. So you've been there now over five years, I think, at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. Which in tech, that's a long time. In CMO land, that's a long time, right? Well, given most CMOs, as you know, it can be a pretty short tenured role. So that tells me a lot about you know your experience leading the helm there. And you probably got to see some incredible things along the way. Um, and Lauren, what I like to do is just like have the conversation. We don't have to go through any necessary processes per se. Let's get into kind of some interesting things that you know, that you're working on now. Um, we'll get into your backstory because I am curious about that stuff. But like yeah. right now, like what are you really interested in? Like what's what bets are you making right now as the global head of marketing and comms there at Square? What's top of mind right now? What are you kind of wrestling through? What are some of the challenges, some of the exciting things that you're really kind of seeing into right now as a marketing leader there? Yeah, well, we're we're kind of getting right into annual planning for next year. So it's interesting time for you to ask that question. So thinking a lot, I, I'm thinking a lot right now about just the direction that we want to go in the future as a business. Square has been focused on a few key things, global expansion, uh, really promoting our omni-channel solutions and growing our business up market. Those things will stay the same. But I think what will change is how we think about approaching that. So we've learned a lot over the last few years. And, and I think a big area for me that I'm really starting to think about is how do we get more focused as a team next year? So those are our three big pillars. We want to grow the business up market. 
We've entered a lot of new countries. We also, we know that sellers and, and merchants that use Square or really any solution are going to be more successful when they're, when they're enabling their customers to, to make purchases in all the ways that they want to. So those are our main messages. I think what we've learned by going into countries. So we, since the last time I spoke to all of you, I mean, we've entered many new markets. We've entered Ireland, France, and Spain. And obviously, each of those markets is really culturally nuanced. There's different macroeconomic factors, really, I think, right now that are obviously top of mind for me and I think every marketer. So for us, we're really thinking about the audiences that where we feel we can really win. How do we find them and go a little bit deeper? So I think that will be a big pivot for us next year instead of being more broad, that we're going to be more focused, which I think will be great for our team, too, because I... Don't think I'm the only marketing lead that would tell you that teams are feeling still just a lot of burnout. There's a lot, there's always at Square opportunities in every direction we look. I always say that's like the blessing and the curse of the job because it's great. There's, you'll never be bored. I've never been bored a single day (laughs) that I've been at Square. I don't think anybody on the team has, but it also means that we've got to be really principled about the decisions and the priorities that we choose as a team so that we've got our people focused on the right things and not getting burnt out. I love that. How, can you take us a layer into how you do that? Like, how do you get people more focused, right? How do you help people strike that balance? Like you said, the blessing and the curse of big opportunity, now global market penetration, lots of direction. And here we are still got to get focused. What's your approach there? So there's two things for us. So the first one I think will really be around like really honing in on those core audiences for us and that being like one lens that we look at to be really focused. So if we, I think we're, we're still debating how many segments should that be and what they'll look like. And it's a big, obviously, I'm sure as you can imagine, cross like collaboration with our sales teams, with our product teams to say like, where do we have the best product market fit? Where do we feel we can really win? And let's go deeper into those places. I think the other thing for us is is thinking a little bit more about specific local areas and how we can go deeper there as opposed to nationally, especially in newer countries where like we're people have not heard of Square. We're, we've only been in Spain for a couple of months. And so we need to think about how do we win in certain areas and, and get that organic flywheel going. And then outside of just sort of audiences and locations, we've developed last year for our team, and it took us a long time, and it's a little bit crazy, but we actually created a prioritization rubric that where we've, we kind of mapped out our priorities and assign like values to different tasks and have, and it's a tool that everyone on the team can use. So it's a little bit cumbersome to use on a daily basis, but in theory, you could, if you had 10 things on your list, you could put all 10, like run them through the rubric and it would spit out like, okay, like this ladders back to our core priorities, core audiences, and just help you decide what work to do. We see it more as something that we'll use during like the annual planning and quarterly planning cycles, but it literally is a ranking system for us to use as a team. And then also we, we tell our stakeholders, hey, we've developed this rubric. This is how things get scored in the rubric so that there's full transparency around it. And so that's the other thing that we're doing, which I think we'll we'll continue to like iterate and evolve as we go. But we tried a lot of different stuff over the years to to really prevent burnout across the team. And I think one of the things that we find is, you know, marketing 
I think at all companies has more stakeholders and more partnerships than any other department usually in the company. And I think for Square, as we've scaled and grown and we've got now kind of more countries and more products like that, that like multiplication factors just made it harder and harder for the team to really stay focused. And we always want to say, yes, we want to be good partners. And I call them ankle biters, but there's a lot of ankle biters that are just little projects that come along that feels like you want to say yes, because it's not going to take that much of your time. But when you do 10 or 20 of those a week, all of a sudden you look at the list of things that you really needed to get done and you realize that you haven't had time or as much time as you needed. Then you start putting in extra hours and then you start to feel burnt out. So I think just trying to kind of help everybody just feel empowered to make their own decisions around what work should bubble up to the top. And obviously people can discuss with their managers. And I think there's a lot of those conversations. Like, do you agree? These are the priorities for the week. So uh, it's a constant sort of like, I, I feel like it's like working out, right? It's a muscle for us as a team mm, that we just need mm-hmm. to keep like practicing and getting better and better at. So that prioritization rubric that feeds into preventing burnout with that, that, that would go into supporting not getting burned out because you're using this rubric to support, hey, here's where we're going. Here's where that thing strategically fits into where we're going. Is there anything else that's helpful in terms of preventing burnout at this stage? I mean, I personally say that I think that everybody needs to define what their boundaries are and what their work and life sort of like schedule looks like for them. I mean, I think that's one of the great things. Like, yes, some people you're working from home, So it feels like you never get to walk away from your computer. But I know like for me as a working mom, it's been really great. But I do have to take time every now and then to reevaluate what about the way that I'm working is working for me and for my family and what's not. So I relocated during the pandemic to the East Coast. Um, That's been really great because I have a lot of mornings to get work done. But sometimes it means that my days get really long. And when I first got here, I found myself working until nine o'clock almost every night, which was really like kind of wreaking havoc on my family's life because everybody was waiting for me and then everything just got really late. And so I said, okay, like I have late days and then I have days that I work East Coast hours on East Coast hour days. If you schedule a meeting with me at seven o'clock at night, I'm probably not going to be there and I can send a delegate, but just sort of holding the line there. So I know that is really hard for people, but I think everybody works differently and, and, and it really does come down to each person saying, this is what works for me. I try to be really transparent about when I'm tweaking or making changes to the way that I work just so that people know, not that they need to do what I'm doing, but I'll say, hey, over the holidays, usually that's a good time for me to reflect on what's working and what's not working and what do I want to either carry forward or change going into the next year. And then I'll just share it with the entire team. We have a weekly email. I always share like some personal musings. And I'll say like, I've thought a lot about my schedule. What's working for me? Here are some changes that I'm making to make my life a little bit more manageable. And usually someone will say like, thank you for sharing that. It just encourages me to to think about what that looks like for me. So Mm. I think that's, it really is about personal balance, but people need to like, say what their boundaries are. And then I always say, like, be unapologetic about it, right? You have to stick to it. You're the only one that can make you yourself walk away from your computer screen. That's awesome. I mean, I love how you draw a real line there of like, it is personal and it is important. Um, And I think that's probably one element of 
you know, why you've been so successful. I'd love for you to just kind of reflect on, let's just take the five plus years in your marketing leader role at Square. Anyone who's certainly in the US, you know Square, you know of this business, and you know the explosion that's happened in the past, you know, few years. As you kind of reflect on the marketing leader you were when you first started to now, and the stage the business has gone through from then till now, because I know that just because you were a marketing leader five years ago, there's no guarantee you'd be the same one to be in the seat the next year or the next year or the next year. Yet you, Lauren, you figured out a way to, you know, to plant your flag in the ground each year as, hey, I am the one to be the marketing leader. And so I just curious to hear your thoughts anecdotally around the evolution of you. Like what, it, what, what kind of marketing leader and human being have you kind of evolved to and had to become to now sit here as global marketing leader of comms and marketing at Square? That's a great question. I, I would say a lot. I, I, I think it starts with a few things. One is that I love learning and I think that like being open to, to doing things in new and different ways. And that's very much like a part of Square's culture and DNA that I really love. And so, you know, everyone at every level is really encouraged to challenge anyone and say, hey, I don't know if you're thinking about this the right way. And I think if I reflect back on the kind of leader that I was five years ago, I mean, certainly I've learned a lot. I think I've, I've really have learned to trust my intuition and my gut instinct more now than I did then. And I also think I'm way more open to doing things in a way that's different than how I've done them in the past. And I think those are probably the two biggest things. Like I am open for learning pretty much all the time. It's actually one of my favorite things when someone says to me, I don't think you're thinking about this the right way. You know, have you thought about it like that? And sometimes we disagree and I'll say, well, that's interesting, but here's why I think about it that way. And sometimes it really is like, you know, a, a really interesting epiphany for me where someone will bring a point of view to the table that I wasn't considering that really makes me rethink how I do work. And I, I think probably in the past I was less open to that. And and I think that's just like very much how Square operates. But I actually, it's one of my favorite things about Square. And I think it makes me better all the time at what I'm doing, because there's people who are like, like really junior people on the team will just say, I think you're wrong about this. And I love it. Like, why? Tell me more. I want to hear about that. So I think there's that, you know, Square, we're always tweaking our operating model. We work in really unique ways. Product marketing sits in the product team's creative comms and there's a lot of central components that sit within my team. And so there's always sort of these fine lines in the sand of like, where are the handoff points? What are product teams doing? What are we doing? How are we communicating with them? How do we make sure like there's, as I said, Square's business is complex. We have a lot of products. Now we have a lot of products in a lot of countries. So when you take all those factors, it's, I think probably the old me was was a little bit more controlling than I am now. But now when the business scales so much, you have no choice but to let go of certain facets and then say, this is the part that you do and I trust you to do that. If product marketers are going to define audience segments and tell us when we have product market fit, I trust that. That's their role in our go-to-market mm. motion. And so I think a lot of that has also changed throughout the years. Like We work in this very hybrid centralized and decentralized way that if you asked me five years ago, I probably would have said, that seems crazy. I can't imagine working in that way. But like, I think when we started to work in that way, I thought, well, I've never worked in that way before, but I'm 
happy to try it. And I think there's a lot of things that work really well about how we work, but we also will go back and say, hey, what's working, what's not working, and how do we continue to make things better as a collective organization? So I think those are probably the the two biggest things. But I do feel like it's been, I've learned a lot. I think the other probably really interesting thing is prior to the pandemic, I think Square's business was really predictable. Like we knew when we put money into the machine, like what would be coming out. And it's obviously, I think I'm definitely not alone in saying this, but it's a lot harder for marketers now. There's macro headwinds. Obviously, our customers, small business owners, were impacted during the the shutdowns, and they continued to be impacted by COVID, by employees being sick, by supply constraints, by inflation. And so there's all of these sort of extra dynamics that make the job, I think, harder and more interesting that we didn't have to contend with in the past. And so We've been forced to become much more agile, really constantly looking at our investments, what's paying off, where we see things coming to fruition in the way that we expected and where we don't, and and how do we move quickly as a team to lean in or pull back when things aren't panning out the way that we planned. What was something that was maybe hard to let go of, you know, in the past few years? Was there something that you know, that you just had an expertise in or you had a knowing in that you just, as you said, as the business scaled, you had to let go. Was there something that was more challenging to let go of? And and how did you tackle that if so? So I think the hardest thing still to let go of is that today at Square, marketing is responsible for all of the touch points that we have with a customer that basically take them up to the point of beginning the signup process. Once they begin that process, it is it, it kind of goes into a product team, into a product onboarding flow where we have very little visibility. But our end goal is based on how many people do we successfully pull through the funnel? How many new customers do we have that are actually generating profit and revenue for Square? And so I, I think this still today remains the hardest piece of it because there's a lot of obviously potential onboarding flows for Square customers. And we're working hard to have better visibility across all of those so that we know which ones are the most optimal like journeys and paths for our customers. But that hands down is the hardest part because it's a huge part of our conversion funnel Mm -hmm. that we don't own as a marketing organization, but obviously impacts our overall goals. Uh, How would you describe just the culture of the ELT and kind of how you, you know, guys and gals all work together and collaborate? Do you, is there some nuance to the relationships and how you connect and support and protect each other um, are you all getting together regularly? You know, what's some of the, the culture of the ELT at Square and, and how does that, you know, drive you, inspire you, challenge you? Yeah, well, obviously we hadn't been getting together for a while, but we did just get together um, for the first time and it was really great to see everybody. And we've got some new people on the team as well. And so I think that the it's 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 an amazing team. I think like the, the team that I sit on today is filled with just like some of the smartest people. And I think where we can have a lot of divergent perspectives and people can, can really disagree about the, the path forward, but we either like open each other's minds to a different way of thinking about something, disagree and commit all of those things. So like, I think a lot of times those things are sort of thrown around as buzzwords in the industry. But I think for our team, we actually really do work that way. Square mm-hmm. is a culture where there's a lot of silent meetings where we read short docs and comment 
and then discuss. And one of the reasons why we do that is that it just, it sort of prevents the person with the loudest voice in the room from being the only one that's heard. And so I think this has been something like also totally new for me. I remember my first time being in a silent meeting at Square where nobody told me that it's a silent meeting. So you're sitting there and you're like, what's happening? Why is nobody talking? Uh, Now when we onboard people into Square, we explain we have this culture um, where you read and you comment in the doc. And then based on some of like the comments or threads, you you figure out what needs to be discussed. And so... I think that's a way for a lot of people to share their opinions. When I first started working in that way, it was a little overwhelming. I'm not going to lie because you get into a meeting and all of a sudden there's just like comment, 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 depending on there could be a hundred people who are reading your doc at the same time. So it's a lot of comments to to sort of keep track of. But I actually think that it does allow the most perspectives and anyone's voice to be heard in the room. And then it allows you, like you could go into a meeting thinking that there's something that's going to be the biggest discussion topic. And then you write something in your doc and nobody says anything. And then there's other things that you're like, this thing, everyone gets that already. We've been doing that for a while. And all of a sudden there will be a lot of questions around that thing. So Mm. it's interesting because you never know which way a conversation will go. But I would say, I think that the team that I'm on today is definitely a team that really keeps you on your toes. They really challenge everybody. And I think we have amazing conversations about what's the right thing to do and how do we move the business forward. So a silent meeting is you you actually, you'll come together and in one space and then comment on something, but not really talk about it. Or you're separately looking at something for a how does that, that's, I said, I've never heard that. That's really interesting. Yeah. And we might, we might, we might steal this one. This is good. Okay. Yeah. So um, it's something that my boss, Alyssa, she was at Amazon. Amazon does this too. And so, okay. you know, before COVID, imagine you go into a meeting and you're sitting around a table and you take, if the meeting is an hour, let's just say, maybe you take 30 to 40 minutes to read and comment and respond to comments in the doc and then reserve time at the end to actually discuss live. So there's always a discussion. It's never just a silent reading. And also it's not a pre-read, which I personally really like. So it's you get it's actually giving everyone time in the meeting to process the information as opposed to sending something ahead of time, which is always terrible for me. If I'm behind in my email, I get to the meeting and people said, Do you did you do the pre-read? And usually I'm a no. Um and so I think just I mean, just being honest, I'm like, when did that come in? Right? Like it's just There's a lot of stuff hitting people's inboxes. So what I love about this is, A, it creates space and time for you to review the docs. You're allowed, I think it's a, you can explain in the written form in more detail, especially when you're talking about strategies or pivots or things that you want to make in more detail than you could in a deck or a presentation. And then you get a lot of feedback. I mean, when you look at our docs at Square, it's just like, there are comments everywhere. I mean, there, there must be hundreds and hundreds of comments in all of those docs. And then you can go through and resolve them later. But that's, yeah, that's how we run almost all of our meetings. Wow. Does someone choose what's more important to, like, if there's that many people commenting on something, how do you know, like, what you're going to cover in that meeting? Yeah. So you don't know before you go in. Okay. Um, but let's just say that I'm I'm leading a meeting and it's a quarterly business review on marketing results. So I will decide. Okay. So sometimes we have a little thing at the top, a table that says, add a discussion topic. And usually 
it's based off of an area where you see like a lot of discussion. So it's like a hot topic, right? Lots of people have have an opinion about something and you're not all agreeing. And then that's something that someone will put in, put in. And so we leave space always in the doc for anyone to add a discussion topic. And then if it's a marketing driven meeting, I'll look at all the discussion topics. I'll think about how much time we have and then, and then kind of guide the discussion around where I think we really need to get some kind of decision from the room. And I want to make sure we get time to talk about something. Ah, love it. That's so cool. Um, shout out to Amazon. That's well done. We didn't, we didn't do that at Google either when I was there. That's a, that's a good one. I, I like that. It takes some getting used to. And I think now we're working on having very concise documents instead of very long okay. documents. So we've tried to like impose a 10 page limit Got for it. marketing when we're doing a whole quarterly review, which is 10 pages Okay, and that's it. Um, which I think at Amazon, they have a six page limit We're we're not there yet. But I think the idea is not to have when I when I first got to Square five years ago, we had documents, but they were fifty pages, wow. and so it was like, wow, that's a lot of reading. Um, yeah. And I think now we've we've tried to get a lot more concise in how we're communicating in the written form. Oh, I love it. Okay, so um, shifting kind of back to the the marketing planning and strategy, you've said that a good marketing strategy has both function and emotion, which I love. This, um, what does it take to strike that balance? I mean, that's a great question. And I think for us, like, we're always tinkering to find that out. So, you know, I think that when it comes to what we do at Square, it there's a lot of functionality in the tools that we provide to business owners. There's also nothing that's more personal than running your own business. And so I think for us, it really is around making an emotional connection with our customers because we know that their business is deeply personal to them and money and how you manage your finances these are all really personal things. At the same time, I think we've gone, you know, we've, we've had a lot of campaigns over the five and a half years that I've been at Square. And if we lean too far into the emotional territory, it then becomes a little bit vague. Well, what are the products and solutions? And how does that feel tangible to me as the person who's receiving this information? And so for us, it's it's just, I think we're we're always sort of experimenting with, striking the right balance between making an emotional connection. And I think in the early days of some of our awareness campaigns, it was, we went, we were too far onto like the functional side of things. Like here's all the things that you can do with Square. And it felt like a list of stuff and it was just really overwhelming. Then we probably pivoted a little too far into the emotional brand side of things. And I think we we're in the middle zone now and we're, we're doing a lot more researching and testing of our ads, which is we want people to feel something. There's a lot of competition in our space, but we also want people, especially business owners, they don't have a lot of time. And some of our earlier work that was really emotional, the, what we would get feedback that would say is, I liked this. I didn't know who it was for. And I had to see the spot multiple times to really make this connection with Square. And so there's a lot of ways that we've gone about solving that. One is that there's a lot of visual cues. For example, our hardware is like pretty recognizable. And so one of the things that we've learned is not having like a hardware shot in the very beginning of a video asset, for example, like is a little bit harder for customers. Once they see that, it orients them around what they're they're seeing. So there's a lot that we've learned throughout the years, but I think any good spot, right, is 
going to make you feel something, but you also, not just for the sake of feeling something, but you also understand the functional benefit of what you get. Like, why is this for you? And I think that's, that's really the balance that we try to strike. When you think about like the most important elements of, you know, customer experience and a customer journey with Square, how does, you know, personal customer service rank in that world? Very high on the list. Um, and that's been a really big area of investment for us as a business because to the point, like, it's really personal. Um, and I think that especially as we're growing our business up market, if you run a restaurant and Saturday night's your busiest time and you have a problem with your point of sale system, you need to be able to get somebody on the phone to speak with you in that moment. And so that's definitely an area that we've invested heavily in making sure that we've got more customer success advocates who are available to business owners whenever they encounter some type of problem. So I think it's one of the most important things. And, and that's one of the things that we've discussed as a leadership team. You know, is it, should we take marketing dollars and invest more in customer support advocates versus doing campaigns? And usually my answer is yes, because at the end of the day, like if we have an ad that says that we're something, but you use Square and you have a problem and you're calling and you can't get somebody on the phone, that's a really bad experience with your brand. And so we try to think about holistically for the customer, all of these touch points and how is each one of those adding up to like our mission and our purpose. And so I think it's critically important for us. And we have an amazing customer success leader at Square who's been really scaling her team as our business has grown and scaled. Mm, I love that. So you are also responsible for comms as well as as marketing. I'm seeing now more and more where brands, certainly in the Fortune 500, Fortune 1000, are or shifting to kind of integrating these two things, where you had you you've, you previously had you know a CMO and a CCO or head of comms. Now you're seeing like marketing leadership kind of have you see this blend happening, this tight integration of marketing and comms into one role or a tight knit team. You're already doing this at Square. Um, what is that like? Because I'm there are a lot of brands who aren't quite doing it that way yet. Big brands that still have these two separate businesses, comms and, and marketing, or comms and PR and marketing. They're kind of all under you. Um, what is that meant for for the business and the bottom line? And also, it also seems like that adds a whole heck of a lot to your plate as well, right? Now you also are responsible for the messaging and, and the communication that goes out to customers and partners and the landscape. Um, so that seems like a lot. How are you doing that as a marketing leader, managing both? Yeah, well, it's been amazing for us. So um, yeah, that's not obviously my area, core area of expertise. So it's been great for me. We have a great leader who comes, who moved into my team. And I think like one of the great things about being in this position is that I get to learn a lot all the time. So I've learned a lot from him. And I think the biggest thing for us is that we just weren't integrated enough before. And there, in, in my opinion, the way I think about channels is there's like, a role and a place for each one of them. And when we think about one of our core priorities of growing the business up market, comms is probably our most important channel because it's there's like credibility when it comes from somebody else and it's not just coming directly from like from Square. And we know that that's going to carry a lot more weight with larger businesses than anything that we could do or say in some type of campaign. 
And so having the comms team as part of marketing has really enabled us to go to market in a much more integrated way where we're thinking about the role that comms plays, marketing plays, creative, all of these different pieces are all kind of like we think about it as like the connective tissue. And we want customers to be having these really kind of like uh, very cohesive experiences with us. And there are times where comms is the lead channel in a go-to-market activity. So we put out a lot of reports and data, and that's something that's very much led by comms and in partnership with our content team. And before comms moved in, these things were all happening, but they were all happening in silos. And that's one of the big things that we're focused on as a team is, you know, we know that when we go to market and we have like all of our channels working in tandem and things are lined up in a great way that it it definitely is a cumulative effect. It's a one plus one equals three every time for us. And so that just wasn't happening before comms moved into marketing. And now it is. And I think it, it also gives us just more leverage even inside the company to say to like our product stakeholders, yes, your product will be ready then, but that's not the best time to go to market, right? Like this is kind of the go to market strategy and when we want to do that and how do we think about like, having more marketing and communications input into overall like GA launch timelines. And so having those two teams together to be able to really, I think, think about the narrative and the timing of the narrative has been really critical for us as well. Wow. You talked about the, you know, this, this, this big bet to expand up market, right? And one of Square's big focuses lately has been just that, expand up market. Why did Square decide to make that move? Yeah, well, I would say, so one of the things is before I went to Square, I was at Yahoo, but in between Yahoo and Square, I ran my own business. And I think that one of the things that surprised me when I got to Square was they have so many products and services that like as this business owner before I got to Square, I wish I would have known about. And so I think the thing for Square is that, you know, over the years, we've really expanded the products and solutions in our ecosystem. You know, we started off as, the little white reader. Now we have a full ecosystem of like commerce solutions, hardware and software that really enable businesses that are much more complex to operate their entire business, leveraging our ecosystem. So for us, I think it really was a question of product market fit and readiness to really handle the complexity of those businesses. And we really invested heavily on the product side for a while and building out our products and making sure that our products were really ready to meet the needs of these larger and more complex businesses. And now that we feel like we have that product market fit, it really is about marketing and a shifting the perception because we do operate with many large businesses, including SoFi Stadium, which is a huge complex operation. But many people still are like, I love Square, but I think about it as like what my dry cleaner or what my nail salon uses. And the answer is, is both. And it really was a question of when, when were our products and services really ready to meet the needs of more complex businesses and how do we continue evolving the perception that Square can serve the needs of businesses of any size? Mm. Yeah, because like when you move up market, you know, it seems like there's, there's a fine line that you walk between attracting new customers and then making sure you're not leaving the old customers behind or making them feel left out. How like how do you move up market without leaving your original customer base behind? 
I think it's the same way that we talk about all the channels, right? So there's there's certain channels that I think we are find are really effective, right? For continuing to bring in our core, like long tail business owners. For example, when it comes to marketing, like those businesses are going to self onboard. There's a lot of awareness already of Square's products and solutions. And so in that case, it's really around how do we kind of capture that demand in our performance marketing channels and, you know, onboard those, self-onboard those customers versus for these growing up market, you know, most of those businesses are going to onboard through sales. And so I think for us, it's really around like figuring out how do we fine tune our go-to-market motion then, and we can have multiple things that are going on at the same time. So we can still sort of attract and appeal to this. I mean, because we have the product suite to really run the full range. And I would say one of the reasons why Square got to be where it is today is that in the early days of Square, some of our very first customers like Blue Bottle were really small and then they got really big. And as they were growing, we realized, oh, we need to scale and change our products to meet their needs. Now, all of a sudden, we have a suite of solutions that can work for you if you're a solopreneur. We have a free tier for every single one of our products. So there's an entry point that's free across every one of our products. You can get a free reader. You can really do, you can get a free online store set up. There's checkout links. There's so many options for you if you're just getting started. And then there's much more complex options. So for us, it's really just a question of like thinking about how do we identify and then funnel customers into the right sort of customer flywheel so that they're having a really great experience with Square. Love that. Well, let's get into some fun kind of lightning round questions and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Sound good? Yeah, sounds good. All right, cool. So uh, thank you. This has been an incredible conversation, uh, truly an honor. Um, let's get into some fun, some fun questions. So before we get into these, I want to give a shout out to Salesforce, who sponsors this show. Marketing Trends is brought to the world by Salesforce. If you're curious, you can learn more at salesforce.com forward slash marketing. Okay, Lauren, first question. What's the last time you tried something new? I'm always trying something new. I have a rule. I have two teenage boys. So my rule with them is I will do anything one time. And so um, I feel like yesterday was the last time I tried something new. My 15 year old has an electric bike and I was like, let me try this. So I rode on his electric bike. I also like made a new recipe last night. I had a barbecue for a lot of people for Labor Day. And my husband always tells me not to try new things. When you're having a lot of new people over, but I didn't listen to him and I did it anyway. So I'm always trying new things. I love that. Okay. What's a life lesson that you learned the hard way? I mean, wow, there's so many. I don't know where to start. I would say maybe just to trust my instincts. It's just taken me longer. Um, and I think it's something that comes with like age and, and becoming more confident in your decision making. But I wish that I would have trusted my instincts earlier on in my career. Along that same line, just what would you say is the one thing that you've cultivated as a marketing leader? Is there a skill that you've had to really cultivate and hone that has really been a great flex for you as an executive that you've used along the way? Well, I think I mentioned already that I'm pretty data-driven. And so I, I feel like because I've been at Square for so long and I know our business so well, like I am really attuned to the data and I'm able to sort of spot any inconsistencies And so um, I think that that's probably like very in the weeds, but oftentimes like because I've been here longer than most other people on the team, that there's like things that they wouldn't have noticed that I've noticed just because I've been here for so long. So I would say that 
And also like, I'm never like afraid to sort of like dive into the details on things and like roll up my sleeves if there's a problem or something that needs to be solved or just something hard that we need to figure out as a team. Like I love to kind of get in there with the team and just stay close to it. Cause I think that's important as a leader to not be too far removed from the day to day. That's huge. I love that. Okay. Let's say hypothetically, Alyssa calls you tomorrow and says, Lauren, I need you to build a marketing team for me from scratch. What is the first role you're hiring first and and then why? It's probably going to be my like analytics and operations because I think today for marketing, like measuring your success and what you're able to provide back to the business has been so important. And I think just will continue to be as we enter these recessionary times, like all of these investments need to be vetted and measurable. And so I consider that the foundation. So it's kind of like if you're building a house, do you want to build a house on a weak foundation? So having that like strong foundation to begin with, I think is a great place to build from. You hear a lot about these you know, growing number of companies exploring the potential of virtual worlds. What do you make of this? So I, a couple of weeks ago, we did, I did my first meeting in the metaverse and it was really cool with Meta, okay. obviously. Um, okay. And it was really fun and it was cool. And I was really amazed by the technology. And I think that there's, there's, a, there's a place for brands in virtual worlds. It's still really nascent. I can't spend that much time in my Oculus without feeling a little sick still. And so I think that it's, it's interesting. I think the technology for the meeting was really amazing actually. And it was like a super fun and really immersive experience. So you can see that it's like coming and there will be a time and a place for it. I think it's still early days and and the technology and, and just the experience needs to improve a little bit before people are really spending so much time. Okay. Couple more here. What is one skill that you believe everyone should have? It's probably communication skills. So I think either at Square, we are always looking for people who can write. Obviously, we talked about why, given our like heavy doc culture. But I also just think that, you know, I'm I'm part of a, a board at a program at Emory, which is where I went to school, which is really about the intersection of data science and communication. And how do you make sure that people who are really savvy in analytics and the data sciences can also clearly articulate and communicate around the data? And so for me, I think that you can have people who are really smart, but they also need to be able to communicate in a way that really resonates with other people. I would say it's that and also just empathy and understanding of other people's point of view. That's good. Okay. Last question. What is one thing that you would like to do this year that you've never done before? Learn how to play the guitar. (laughs) You and me both. I'll take that one. Cool. Lauren, thank you so much for being here. This was an incredible conversation, like truly an honor. Keep going. Don't stop. And congratulations to you and the whole squad at Square. Thanks for being on Marketing Trends. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver 
relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.